Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali and I, are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll try to put it all together for you. So let's get started. Well, hello, everyone. We're back in Revelation chapter 19 this morning. Um, What an amazing chapter. This chapter has been a a celebration. Uh, It's been the the hallelujah chorus in heaven singing, and it's been sung by a great multitude. It's being sung by the 24 elders and and the four living creatures, Um, and it is um, singing hallelujah. Hallelujah is only used here in the whole Bible. Uh, these in here, right here, um, in Revelation, and uh, so I I didn't know that. Um, hallelujah literally means praise God, praise Yahweh. That's what Hallelujah means, and um, the word Amen I did not know that either is um, a transliteration. It is not a translation, it's a transliteration. In other words, the spelling of amen, A-M-E-N, is literally spelt the same way, uh, the way it came from the Greek, excuse me, the Hebrew, then the Greek, and then um, English. So those letters are put together in the exact same way. That's how the letters look in the different language. That's called transliteration as opposed to translation. So we're getting a lot of amens and a lot of hallelujahs here. That's neat, you know, and uh, they're they're singing praise about the judgment that has come in the first chorus and uh, then the second chorus, the, the smoke goes up for ever and ever of, of, this, of God's judgment. You know, the, God's judgment is, is going to be forever. And then the third chorus is praise, pra- basically is praise God. Um, all you servants, <clears throat> you who fear him small and great, everybody praises God. And literally, that's coming from the elders and all living creatures. Everybody's praising God. And then the great multitude sing the the fourth hallelujah chorus. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him glory. And then they're, then they're singing, For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride is made herself ready. That's the church. And the ch- it's so cool because the church is... 
clothed in this fine, pure white linen, but that's the the righteous deeds of the saints. That's us. So our, our righteousness, our deeds, are going to glorify God's church. I think that is so beautiful. I mean, we're part of the church. We're the body of Christ. We are the church. So we are going to be made ready. We are going to be made righteous and pure. We are going to be clothed in our righteousness. That's beautiful. Okay, so we're uh, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So we're, they're singing about this marriage that is occurring, this marriage supper. So now we're going to take up in verse 11 and finish this chapter. Verse 11, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. This is Jesus. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. So he's coming on a white horse. Now, white horses, McGee teaches, are associated with war, with battle. When, he, when Jesus came the first time, he was on a colt. He was on a donkey. That's, uh, that's a symbol of peace. That was a symbol of peace. You didn't see a ruler. When a ruler came into a city uh, on the donkey, that was symbolizing, you know, <clears throat> peace. But when you see a ruler coming on a, a horse, a white horse, <clears throat> that is a symbolic horse of war. So you've got heaven open up. The, the second coming of Christ, he's on a war horse. He's not on a, a horse. Of, he's not on an animal of peace. And it's amazing. You know, when, when um, the first time that Jesus came, people were expecting to see a king coming who would make war on the Romans. But what they got was somebody who was coming in peace. Instead of having a leader coming in on a war horse, they had a leader coming in on a donkey of peace. Instead of a great, powerful leader coming in, they came in with a baby, and nobody even knew him. Nobody knew Jesus when he first came. And even, even his apostles, you know, trying to get to know Jesus, to understand who he was. Even, you know, people like who lived with him, who ate with him, didn't understand his mission. And he died right before their eyes, and they didn't even know what was going on. All of the great leaders who put him to death watched him die before their eyes, and they didn't even know him. Knowing Jesus, how deep that is. And so the first time people were expecting a great leader, and they got somebody coming in humility. And now it's almost like when we think of Jesus, <clears throat> we think we've still got him on the cross Half naked up there, or but you know, naked up there, uh, being crucified. That's how we see Jesus in humility. But it's interesting. The first time he came, we were they were expecting a king, and they got humility. The second time he's coming, everybody's kind of expecting lovey dovey humility, but they're going to get somebody, a leader, coming in on a war horse. That's Christ. You know, and and we and McGee says, you know, we always kind of expect, you know, when Jesus comes back and the dead get raised, and you got the sinners on one side, the saved on the other, the sinners go to hell, the saved people go to heaven, and there you go. When Jesus comes back, 
He's coming back on a war horse. And again, one of the hardest things for us to understand is to know Christ, to understand who he is. And it's it was it's probably as McGee's alluding to, it's probably just as challenging for us today to know Jesus as it was for people when he came the first time. People are going to like trying to get their they're trying to understand him the first time. They're going to be trying to understand how how deep he is, how multidimensional he is, how he goes by he goes by different names. You know, he in the beginning was the word, the word was God, the word was with God. He was then the word became flesh. Jesus has been here from the beginning. He is the word of God. He is God. He was with God. So he's sort of he's sort of God. At the same time, he's with God because he needs to be with us too. So he's he's God. Then he becomes man. He is the word of God. The word becomes flesh. All these dimensions of who Jesus is. And you know, and then that spirit of Jesus becomes us. We are in we have his righteousness. That's how we become the church. We, we then we become his body. And then he gives us his spirit. He gives us his body. Then we have his spirit. He gives us his blood that saves us. All the dimensions of who Jesus is. So he and he is faithful and true. That's who he is. He's faithful and true. Look at all the different things that Jesus is. He is the one sitting on it, faithful and true. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. He's coming back to judge. He's coming back to make war. That's who we're getting the second time around. And look at his eyes. Verse 12, his eyes are like a flame of fire. What does that mean? That means his eyes judge. They don't miss anything. He sees everything. That fire penetrates the darkness. All the deeds done in secret of darkness, his eyes see right through it. The light exposes the darkness. Satan is, loves the darkness. Sin loves the darkness. Jesus Christ's eyes are like flames of fire. They are light in, a, in the darkness. And on his head are many diadems. He has many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. So look at all the different names that, that Christ has. He's King of King and Lord of Lords. We see that down in verse 16. He's coming as a king. And then we see that he is called faithful and true. <clears throat> this is back in verse 11, so you got that. And then we see verse 13. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. He's called King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He's called Faithful and True, and he's called the Word of God. Look at all the different dimensions of Christ. He's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He has all the authority. 
He is the Word of God. He's the personification of the Word of God. And He is truth. He is faith. He is faithful. The faith that we get in Christ comes from the Word of God. Remember, faith comes from hearing the Word of God. Who is the Word of God? Jesus. We get our faith from Jesus. It is a gift of God. And then, he's got a name written that no one knows but himself. And McGee, is McGee's teaching, like, what does that mean? His name is written, Jesus. That's his name. And then McGee says, well, what does that deeply mean? He goes, well, do you know Jesus? No one knows Jesus except the Father. There's a whole bunch of scripture that alludes to that. I'm... I don't have time to go into that, but Jesus said himself, no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. To really know Jesus is what we, is the pursuit of our faith, is to know Christ. That's what I mean, his disciples, like we were saying, the apostles, his disciples who were with him night and day during his ministry didn't know him. They could only, they could only try to grasp who he was. Even John, remember John in, in Revelation back in chapter 1, when he sees Christ for the first time revealed in his glory, what did he do? He fell on his knees like a dead man, seeing Christ revealed in his glory. We can't even comprehend Christ in his glory. And this is John who was buddies with him, who ate with him, who watched him die on the cross, who took care of his mother. He doesn't even know. He doesn't even begin to know Christ. That's, that ought to be the, the central focus of our faith. He's King of kings, Lord of lords. He is faithfulness and truth. He is the Word of God. Jesus, do you know Him? We ask ourselves that. So He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood. That's the sacrifice for us and the name by which He is called the Word of God. His clothes, look at look how it's contrast. Look what he wears compared to what the bride wears. Fine linen, bright and pure, the righteous deeds of the saints. His robe is dipped in blood. Those are his deeds. Those are his righteous deeds. He's got our blood. He's got his blood representing our sin. He's wearing the sacrifice for our sin on that day. When he comes back, his blood, that, that's, that is part of his righteous deeds are on his clothing. And he's called the Word of God. Verse 14, And the armies of heaven... 
Okay, here come his armies arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. We're following him on white horses. Again, war horses. <clears throat> and from his mouth. So they're coming in righteousness too, right? Fine linen with righteous deeds. They're coming in his righteousness. Verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword. And we've seen in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, the sword, is. does he have a sword in his mouth? No. The scripture says the word of God is a sharp sword. It's a sharp double-edged sword, sharper than any double-edged sword that pierces the heart and the soul. That's the word of God. That's what we see. The actions of the Word of God. With which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. So Christ, from His mouth, comes a sword, comes the Word of God. And that Word will strike down nations. That Word will rule. That Word even penetrates the human heart to the soul. It is sovereign over every heart and over every nation. He will tread the wine press the wine press of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. That wine press that we alluded to several chapters ago was for all the sinners. The wrath of God will will be pressed out to the great prostitute, especially that was represented by Babylon, this great prostitute that was this false religion, this false church. The wrath, remember the seventh bowl of wrath was poured out. The last drop of that was on this false church, this great prostitute, this false faith where God's wrath was concentrated on. Verse 16, On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Look at all the names that you can describe Christ by. Faithful and true. The word of God. King of kings. Lord and Lord of lords. Jesus. Do you really know him? John didn't. John fell on his face like a dead man when he saw Christ in his righteousness, in his glory, with eyes like flame of fire. Then, verse 17, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come and gather for the great supper of God. So now this angel is calling these birds, because Christ is defeating the armies here of the earth with the armies of Satan, with his armies of, these, of righteousness. Come and gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of the captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. 
And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. So you've got this Antichrist figure, this political figure. Remember, the Antichrist was this personification of Satan, the dragon. So you've got this beast was a political leader, and you've got this false prophet. So you've kind of got two people, the personification of two people, as opposed to Christ, who is the, everything is in Christ. He's both king and priest. So you've got the beast ready to make war against Christ. Verse 20, and the beast was captured <clears throat> and with it the false prophet. So you've got this personification of the Antichrist. Who is Who in his presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast? So that's kind of like God had marked the people he was going to save, that 144,000 from the nation of Israel, that remnant of all the Old Testament prophecy that I'm going to preserve my nation to restore you. Of course, the, the, um, the beast, the false prophet, and, you know, had deceived everybody because he had given them a mark. You know, like, oh, no, no, this is the mark of what you're going to do to be saved. Deceiving all these people. Everything is sort of <clears throat> a false image of God's plan. And those who had worshipped the image, okay? So there are going to be people who are going to be deceived. Whoever this false prophet is, they're going to deceive a lot of people. And perhaps they think they're following God's you know, word. They think this false prophet is representing God, perhaps. These two were thrown into, they were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. All right? So, Jesus is going to kill all these other people, but he's going to capture the beast and the false prophet alive and then throw them in the lake of fire. Verse 21, And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and... All the birds will, were gorged with their flesh. So these folks, they're going to this, they're going to get defeated, and all these nations apparently that are making war against against God, against Christ. And can you imagine when heaven opens up and? Um, you see Christ in His glory. Now, that must have been enough for John to fall on his feet like a dead man. It's hard for me to even comprehend that if you saw heaven open up and these legions of angels coming, all dressed in white linen, and Christ coming down from heaven in His righteousness, that that wouldn't just blow me away and... I mean, even if I was worshiping something falsely. But these people would not repent. These people's hearts were gone. And um, 
especially this beast and this false prophet and the, the armies that they have amassed with their the kings of the earth, you know, were there too. The kings of the earth were there and the armies that were there gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse. So that's amazing that you've got humanity still not repenting. Still not repenting. So we're going to stop here. This is where we stop today. We have completed chapter 19, and it looks like we've got chapter 20, 21, and 22 to go, and then we have finished the book of Revelation. How wonderful that will be when we get to the end of this study. Um, This is a great chapter. Chapter 19 is a chapter of celebration, of hallelujah and amen, of the hallelujah chorus in heaven, a picture of of a bride a picture of a marriage supper, and also a picture of a another kind of a supper, too. A supper of... of judgment and wrath. So, for me to all of you, God bless you. Keep your heart centered on Christ. Now I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, I hope you're doing great. Look forward to hearing what you've got to say today. Hello. So today's teaching is coming from Revelation chapter 19, beginning at verse 11 all the way to verse 21. So scripture reads verse 11 and verse 12 of chapter 19. Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. So this is the return of Christ to the earth. And this is the climatic event towards which all these things are moving towards today. So in this book, we have had the history of the church. That's uh, when we just began. That's from the day of Pentecost to the Pernusia. And when he takes the church out of the world. And from chapters 4 to chapter 18 of Revelation, we were in the Great Tribulation period. And it ended by the coming of Christ to the earth to establish his kingdom. So this actually takes place at the end of the Great Tribulation period and right before the establishment of the kingdom. And this is the great climatic event towards which all things are moving today. And it is in contrast to his first coming. So he was meek and lowly. He was a baby, a harmless baby. And he was the savior who died for our sins. Now he's coming in great glory and righteousness. And he's coming to put down all and righteousness before he establishes his kingdom and in revelation 4 verse 1 scripture reads after these things i looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which i heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying come up here and i will show you things which must take place after this so heaven is actually open to let john 
as a representative of the church to enter heaven where he actually sees the elders that is the church already there so here heaven opens to let christ exit so the white horse on which christ rides is the animal of warfare so when jesus was here on earth he actually rode into jerusalem on a donkey and this was uh, the animal um, that kings used and it always denoted peace and not war so he's called faithful because he has come to actually execute um, the long time program of god all that was predicted so he is true and he says he is the truth so he has come to judge and make war he hasn't come to die on the cross like he did in the first coming so here scripture says his eyes were like a flame and if we go to chapter 1 of revelation that's verse 14 it reads um, his head and hair were white like wool as white as snow and his eyes like a flame of fire so his eyes were like a flame of fire as he walked around the churches so his eyes were like a flame of fire they were on fire as he was walking around the churches judging them but now it is a flame because he's come to judge you know judgment day has come and this earth is put down um its righteousness so the many crowns that are talked about here in scripture that i just read the many crowns actually indicate that he will be the sole ruler of the earth he will be the utmost dictator of the earth and then it goes into scripture has also gone on to read the name which is written that no one knew except himself so he's actually given four names which correspond to the gospels so the first name he's given is king of kings which corresponds to the gospel of matthews as matthew presents him as the king then uh, the second name he's given faithful and true so in the gospel of mark he is presented as god's servant so the important um thing about a servant is not his genealogy but it's his um how truthful is he how loyal is he and the third name he is called a word of god so in the gospel of john he's called that you know in the gospel of john it's it's, it states in the beginning was the word and the word was made flesh and then the name that no one knows so in the gospel of luke he is presented as jesus the son of man and that's the name here and this is the name that we uh will probe through eternity and this is the name that's actually familiar to everybody you know it's used you know to cuss to 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 you know speak in vain of but this is the name which we're going to you you know use through all of eternity so do we really know you know even if we're familiar with the name do we really know who jesus christ is no man knows the son but the father that's what scripture says and when he comes he has a name that no man knows but himself and that's why paul said in philippians before he was executed just right after before he was executed that uh, paul said that i might know him and the power of his resurrection so no one knows the son but the father 
and it will take the rest of eternity to know him. Um, so the more we know Jesus Christ, the more exciting that it actually gets. And it's actually really true. Like, it's just so exciting. So if we turn to the book of John, that's John 7, verse 7. Sorry, John 14, verse 7. It reads, If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him that's Christ uh, Jesus, like through Christ Jesus. And if we jump to verse 9, it reads, Jesus said to them, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me? Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us <clears throat> the Father? Okay, so how well do we know Christ? And then scripture goes on to read from verse 13, that's in Revelation 19, verse 13 to 16. It reads, he was clothed with a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word, <clears throat> the Word of God. And the armies of the heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay, so his garment is sprinkled with blood, and we are told he treads the winepress on uh, the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. And this takes us back to... The book of Isaiah, it's Isaiah 63, verse 1 to 3, and it reads, Who is this who comes from Edom, with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who see, speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is it your apparel is red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me, and I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. Mm. Okay, so um, this actually refers to Christ's second coming and not his first coming. It refers to the judgment that's coming. So he will actually rule with a rod of iron. And this takes us back to Psalms 2. So he will um he will be um a world dictator. So he's the one that God says, I will put my king upon the upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare and decree the Lord has sent unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten there that is from the dead. Ask me, and I shall give you the heathen for your inheritance in the uttermost parts of the earth for 
thy possession. So he will get them at the second coming. So thou shall break them with a rod of iron. Thy shall um, ask them unto, sorry, thou shall smash them um, into pieces like a potter's vessel. So this is what John is talking about here, that God is coming, Christ is coming to this earth, and the fury of his wrath in his second coming is in sharp contrast to the gentleness of his first coming. So he is coming, Christ is coming, and he is coming with, um, here as it reads, um, he will be clothed in a white robe dripped, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God, and He's coming with the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen they will follow him on these um white horses and scripture goes on to read verse 17 to 18 17 and 18 um then i saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried out a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. Okay, so we have here, um, it's, 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 um, it's a very um, like horrific scene painted here. Um, and this is the final battle, the war of Armageddon. And God concluded this passage at the end of his word to remind us of how nauseating, it's a nauseating passage to remind us of how nauseating the deeds of the flesh are. So men who live in the flesh will have their flesh destroyed. And this is an invitation at the end of the battle of Armageddon to, you know, the flesh-eating birds, the fowls of the heavens to come and banquet on earth, to come and eat the flesh of the ones who have died in this battle. Scripture goes on to read verse 19 and 20. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. So here, hell is open. But you know, up to, up to this point... Um, Satan is still loose. So the beast, um, which is who is the political ruler and the Antichrist and the religious ruler, that's the false prophet, are both taken and the rest are killed with the sword by him that sat on the white horse and the sword that comes out of his mouth. And the fowls of the earth were actually... Um, Filled with their, um, filled to the belly with the, the, their flesh, 
So the beast and the false prophet defy God. Here we, we see them defying God until the very last. So they are, um, they actually prefer to actually make war with the Son of God, who obviously is sitting in heaven and like God sitting in heaven and laughing. And scripture goes on to read in verse 21 and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds uh, were filled with their flesh. So, here, Dr. Jimmy, he pointed out something interesting. He said, You know, um, people tend to question is the um, lake of um, burning fire, brimstone, is it literal? And you know, it may be symbolic, but the symbol is, um, you know, of um, less, um, it's, it's, it's actually less visual or less um, vivid and real than the actual, because the symbol is just a symbol, it's a representative of something that's actually literal. So you can imagine what the literal is about. So, um, and then the sword that's proceeding from his mouth is the word of God. So this is what Ephesians 6 verse 17 reads. Um, okay. So Ephesians 6 verse 17 reads. And take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So the sword that proceeds from his mouth is the word of God. And Isaiah 11 verse 4 reads. Um, okay. So Isaiah 11 verse 4 reads. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with with equity for the meek of the earth he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked okay so it's the word of god that um Um, that actually created this universe and it's the word of God that will save us, you and me it's not by corruptible seed but by incorruptible by God's word which lives and abides forever so this is how um, one's actually born again and it will be the word of God that will destroy the wicked at the end of the age okay so this is our teaching our lesson from today yeah, we have reached the end of um, the great tribulation period and now um there is the war of armageddon and um it's been an interesting read actually um so thank you all for listening in god bless you all and have a pleasant weekend bye-bye